0: This is our great podcast. This is called Living in the 60s. I'm Craig Holgrimson, and I'm Tom Kirkpatrick. Here's how we live in the 60s.
1: Welcome back to Living in the 60s. This is Craig, and Tom's here with me, and I think today will be the highlight of this relatively new podcast. Just a reminder, Tom and I are located in a northern suburb of Minneapolis, Minnesota, And Tom and I went to junior high, senior high, junior college, and broadcasting school together. So this has been fun to work on the podcast. So, okay, enough
0: about us. Tom, tell us who we have on the phone today. Craig, anyone who has lived in Minneapolis in 1965 knows the band The Castaways. And on the phone we have James Donna, one of the original members of The Castaways and co-writer of the big hit Liar Liar. Now he's getting ready to launch a new book liar liar from garage Band to rock stars the story of Minnesota's castaways in the 1960s James welcome to living in the 60s
2: hey thanks guys thank you very much for having me on your podcast uh, living in the 60s uh, it's great to be with you guys this morning and uh, we're gonna uh, start off with uh, basically I'll just read you something from my book to sort of introduce what we're going to talk about. It was the summer of 65. Minnesota, the land of 10,000 lakes, was also the land of a 1,000 dances and a hotbed of musical talent. Teenagers were filling the local dance halls and ballrooms to hear their favorite bands, which included the castaways. It was a time of guitars playing at full volume, with Fender amplifiers, pounding drums, fast cars on the streets, and drive-ins. It was the golden age of rock and roll. So how did this all start with the castaways? Well, I'd have to go back to northeast Minneapolis, where I grew up, uh, in a musical family. My father was a very talented professional musician, but he was also an engineer for Honeywell. And he helped develop um, part of the Apollo space capsule, which I think is pretty cool. But anyways, Dad got me some piano lessons, and uh, I was really enamored with the rock and roll the late 50s and early 60s and of course like most teenagers i listened on the transistor radio in bed very late at night listening to all the songs uh, of the era and i especially loved uh jerry lee lewis i mean he was my idol being i played the piano uh i, I was just totally blown away by jerry lee and uh, his big hit records great balls of fire whole lot of shake and all that kind of thing so uh it was around, oh, gosh, I was probably a sophomore in high school at De La uh, when I found out that Jerry Lee was coming to Excelsior Ballroom, Dance, uh, Dance Land Ballroom in Excelsior, excuse me, uh, Dance Land Ballroom in Excelsior. So I borrowed my dad's car, and I drove out there, and um, there he was. I uh, saw them behind the ballroom. There he was sitting with this big, shiny Lincoln Continental uh, Walked <laughs> up to him. And he was, uh, sipping on a bottle of whiskey and smoking a cigar. I mean, it was unbelievable. I mean, I'm a 16, 17 year old kid and I went up to him and I told him, I just love your, your songs and your music, Jerry Lee. And he was really friendly. And, uh, he asked what instrument I played and I said, uh, piano and he smiled. And so then I went into the ballroom and, uh, basically there was a fellow there standing there was Bill Deal, um. From wow.
1: WDGY. Yep, I remember Bill Deal. Yep. And uh, yeah, and I I
2: started talking to Bill about, you know, my love of Jerry Lee Lewis and, and his music and all that. And at the end of the concert, believe it or not, Bill Deal takes me up on stage, introduces me to Jerry Lee Lewis, and I'm just shaking. I'm so nervous. And I asked <laughs> Jerry Lee, would you please show me how to play Great Balls of Fire? <laughs> wow. And Sure, son, sit down at the piano and I'll show you. And and he proceeds to teach me, you know, parts of this song. And I'm just still shaking. I I just can't believe that this rock star has taken the time to teach me a song. So I go home, my parents' house in northeast Minneapolis, and I'm pounding on the piano till 3 o'clock in the morning because I did not want to forget those chords and those chord progressions which Shirley had just uh, shown me. So... That was pretty much the start of my musical career. You know, I wanted to play in, in, a, in a rock and roll band, really, in high school. I mean, there was a lot of Minnesota kids that had that dream. Um, you know, there were a fortune, a few of us, that uh, were able to realize the dream, and others didn't, you know, that's kind of the way it was. But, you know, by the time I graduated from high school, there was probably one or 200 bands in the Twin Cities that were, you know, playing in their parents' garage, learning songs, playing rock and roll, and, you know, a few of us made it out of the garage. Uh, <laughs> some didn't. And, uh, you know, uh, there was three bands, basically, that uh, I really idolized. And uh, they were um, Gregory Dean and the Avantes, which was my favorite band, uh, the, um, gosh, the Accents, oh, yeah. and the Underbeats. They were the um, called the Big Three, and they had followings Uh, you know they would go to kids would flock to their dances you know the different ballrooms and the teen clubs like Mr. Lucky's and all that and I'd go out and listen to them and so um, I got very very interested in in rock and roll at an early age Um, just as I graduated from high school I got a call from some guys who said they were the the castaways the, the four castaways and would I be interested and auditioning with the band. And I said, wow, yeah, I'd love to. The problem was, um, I did not have a portable keyboard at the time. The only thing I could think of was my dad's big console organ in the living room of my parents' house. So um, (laughs) (laughs) I somehow backed up my parents' car to the front door, and I proceeded to load this huge organ into the trunk. And of course, it
1: didn't fit very well. What kind of car, car of did your dad showed up because apparently the neighbors thought I was a burglar. <laughs> uh, what kind of car did your dad have? A uh, 1957 Chrysler, New Yorker with the big tail fin. Oh, yeah. Okay. Huge trunk. So, anyways,
2: make a long story short, I get the organ loaded up, and uh, I proceed to drive over to Richfield. I audition with the guys, and they, they uh, hired me. You know, we're now the five castaways. Okay, so there it was, in a rock and roll band, um, never played with a group before, and they hand me uh, a song list of about 100 songs that I have to learn, which was quite an interesting experience. Mm. And I had no equipment, so uh, basically, I went down to B-Sharp Music Company on Central Avenue, and that was uh, you know, the premier uh, music store in the Twin Cities. Everybody that played in a band back in the 60s knew all about Jimmy Lopez, the owner of B-Sharp Music Company. And uh, I bought some equipment there. You know, I got a Wurlitzer electric piano, a Fender amplifier, some other equipment. So I was all set. And uh, we started out playing basically, um, you know, some pizza joints and things like that. And uh, we just kept practicing and practicing and rehearsing and rehearsing. And this went on for a long time. This was 1964 that I'm talking about. And uh, we basically started getting some bookings, uh, and Bill Deal started booking the band. He took an interest in us, and that opened a lot of doors for us. And in fact, by late 1964, uh, we got a gig at the Prom Ballroom, believe it or not, with the Everly Brothers. Whoa, oh, wow. This, this is huge. I mean, we're just some local band just out of the garage, just getting started out, and we're playing on stage side by side with Gon and Phil Everly. Huge crowd. I mean, you know, standing room only. We, uh, we're we the opening act, of course, and uh, we thought, well, you know, some of our best songs are by the Everly Brothers, so why don't we play them tonight? This was a huge mistake. I mean, you're, you're not supposed to do that. I mean, Denny, our drummer, he's like maybe 17 years old, and I mean, we're just kids. So we played some of their, their songs, you know, and uh, at the end of the set, we thought, geez, we probably shouldn't have done that. We're kind of worried, you know, what was going to happen with the Everly Brothers, how, you know, how they feel about it.
1: But <laughs> wow. After
2: the concert, Don and Phil said, we just loved your renditions of our songs. Don't worry, it's just fine. So, I mean, that was a big relief that they were so uh, so nice about the whole thing. They, they were just nice musicians to work with. So that was probably our, our, our you know, our first big show. But I, I should back up the story just a little bit. Um, you know, some people ask, what was your big break? And I kind of got ahead of myself. It was the St. Louis Park talent contest uh, in mid, I don't know, mid 64. So we were on a talent contest with a lot of other acts. And we played a killer rendition of uh, Turn On Your Love Light. And we just brought the house down. We won first place in our category and some gigs our big breaks. I should have covered that first. I kind of got ahead of myself with the Everly Brothers. The other big show in 64 was uh, with Jan and Dean at the Parade Stadium in Minneapolis. That was another huge concert. Wow. So 64 was off to a great start um, and uh, we were really excited. You know, just basically high school kids are out of high school and things were looking good. We kept practicing and practicing we bought better equipment from B sharp which was huge um, to improving our sound and 65 rolls around and we're still doing the team dances and ballrooms um, you know we're, we're, we're still not anywhere near the level of the big three bands that I would mentioned we, we knew that you know if you were going to make it you had to have a record on the air you had to have a hit record. And they all had their big hits, you know, The underbeats had Foot Stopping, uh, Gregory Dean Ivani's had The Grind. Um, so we decided we should really record. That's the secret to success. So I believe it was probably in March of 65. Uh, I was at my parents' house in Northeast Minneapolis sitting at the organ in the afternoon, and I started um, I started writing uh, some lyrics and and started writing some chords. And I just kept doing this over and over again. And uh, that was basically the start of Liar Liar. Uh, I don't know what inspired it. I don't know if anything inspired it. It was just a song that was going around in my head. Uh, Later that afternoon, Dennis Craswell and the guy showed up for rehearsal. We rehearsed a lot in my parents' basement. So I guess, you know, some people call us a garage band. Well, we were also a basement <laughs> band, believe it or not. Uh, so anyways, then he sits down and, and, and helps me write the song. You know, together we, we finished the song. And uh, I was nervous. I did not know uh, what the guys downstairs would think about it. So we walked downstairs and sat down at the piano down there and played the song, and sang some of the lyrics, and the guys loved it. I was really surprised. I thought, you know, who knows what? Who knew what they would think about it? You know, whether they'd like it or not. But they loved the song, so we sat down there for hours and hours rehearsing it. Uh, everybody figured out their parts. Um, you know, Bob Fulshaw sang the falsetto, "Liar, Liar." Uh, Dick Roby sang the lead vocals. Uh, I did the introduction to the song and so forth. And so um, that was the the start of "Liar, Liar." Uh, we weren't anywhere near ready go into a recording studio uh, we were you know I guess you could call us perfectionists we wanted everything to be perfect so uh, we played the song at Teen Dances uh, four or five gigs that we had and the crowd loved the song so uh, we were about ready to go into the studio and a fellow by the name of Timothy Kerr Kerr, uh, took an interest in the band and he came over and listened to it and and he said I can line you up with a studio. We said, great. Uh, So Tim became our producer, and we went down to K-Bank Studios uh, in South Minneapolis, and uh, we uh, sat down and uh, knocked the song out in about an hour, and the rest is history. So, you know, um, it came out quite well after the second take, uh, and I had invited... Uh, a fellow by the name of Ira Heilacher to the studio. He was the son of uh, Amos Heilacher, who was the uh,
1: owner of Soma Records. Some people call him the Godfather of the oh, Twin oh. Cities uh,
0: recording okay. history. And he really is. And so Ira
2: says, "I love this song. I want this song. You know, I'll even pay for it if I have to. You, you, we got to have this song." So he drives us over to his dad's house early next morning. And we walk into the home of Amos Heilicher, this big mansion. I think it was in St. Louis Park or somewhere up there. And he puts it on, Ira puts it on the tape recorder, and, and Amos listens very carefully. About two minutes, he turns around, smiles, and says, Come down to my office,
0: and we'll sign you to a contract. Wow.
1: Wow. In and, and, and five minutes, we have a recording contract. I'm just shaken.
2: I can't believe it. It's just, I mean, it's, it's just hard to believe, you know, your dream comes true. And anyways, you know, so we're still a local band. We're still playing Mr. Lucky's and all the ballrooms. And, you know, for what I call local money, it was probably 125, 150 bucks a night. And, uh, this goes on for a while. And all of a sudden, I'm driving down Lake Street, my dad's fifty-seven Chrysler. I still don't have my own car. And I hear Liar Liar on the radio. And I'm just blown away. I mean, here's here's the song we, we recorded. And it's trending towards number one. By June, the song is number one on the local Twin Cities radio stations. Number one. And this is this is just completely blowing us all away. You know, who who would have thought this would happen? But it did. We were very blessed. So the band had made me leader. They asked me to be business manager and take care of the bookings and, and all that stuff, you know. So one morning I get a call from, um, from uh, Amos Heilicher. He says, you gotta come down to my office. We wanna talk to the band. So this is after we've signed the contract, of course. I didn't. I can't go on forever and ever about all the details, but we'd already signed the contract for the record. So we go down to Soma Records office and there's Ira with all these top 40 lists from all around the country, radio stations all around the country, pile on a table. He says, your song is number one on both coasts. What are you doing playing in the Twin Cities? You got <laughs> to get on the road right now. So right now? Yeah, right now. So the next thing we know, we're on a plane to California and, uh, we're out on the West Coast, and we're all of a sudden find ourselves on TV uh, doing, you know, Dick Clark, Where the Action Is, and lip-syncing our song to the record, which was a whole new experience for us. We you know, <laughs> used to play live, but all of a sudden, we're lip-syncing, you know, which which was cool. So that's how they did things back then. And so we did all these TV appearances and, and, and uh, ballrooms and teen dances out in California. I met a lot of... Big rock stars back then, and uh, we end up on a plane with the Beach Boys opening for them up in um, British Vancouver. Huge gig. We're flying with the Beach Boys to Vancouver to open a show, and they're just super nice. You know, the stewardesses are, you know, I should call them flight attendants. You know, everybody back then said they were
1: stewardesses, <laughs> but
2: they're passing out little bottles of airplane booze, and we're having this big party all the way to Vancouver, and so we opened the show for the Beach Boys before, you know, I don't know how many thousands of people. And we don't even have a chance to hear them play because our booking agency has us booked at another show uh, that uh, that evening. Um, and we have to fly back uh, on a private plane to get to the show with the animals. It was, it was unbelievable. We just barely made it. We had a police escort. Um back to um this gig with the animals anyhow so this is all spinning in my head you know that my gosh this is all happening over over a six-week period we did the california tour and we flew back to minneapolis and started playing you know some of the local gigs again so um, by that time we had recorded uh you know um uh, goodbye babe a song written by roy hensley which Didn't sell a million copies like Liar Liar, but it still did quite well, and so we had, you know, more songs to play. So this goes on for a long time, you know. We kept touring and playing all over the Midwest, and we went down to Texas. We were on the East Coast, you know, we were touring all the time. Uh, I could go on and on and on about some of the gigs, but, you know, if you're interested, you can see some of these stories in the book, so. I guess to kind of wrap things up, uh, it was a real privilege and an honor to, for this to happen. We were very fortunate for some, you know, high school kids to uh, have a national hit record and to experience all of this. And so, by the, I would say by the summer of '66, I started to think about my future with the band. And uh, to be honest with you, I was getting really tired of the touring and all the. There was some band drama. I, I will admit that it was nothing. <laughs> serious uh but it happened and you know all the responsibilities of being the leader of the band and then there was my education i had basically had to drop out of the university of minnesota i mean you can't be in a rock and roll band touring and going to college and that was really probably the biggest thing i said, you know i should i should go back to school and, and you know finish my education so uh it broke my heart but i left the band in the fall of 66 uh, and so um that's pretty much how the story ended uh Bob Fulshaw our lead guitar player got drafted went to Vietnam I I got a deferment for health reasons uh the other guys reformed the band and they recorded and toured for a couple more years and then they kind of uh just disbanded but you know in the 70s I I really missed being on stage and so I decided I'm going to start playing again so by the mid or late '70s, I had restarted the, my version of the Castaways, and we're still playing today. I just love it. It's you know, it's not a full-time gig, but it's a fun gig to you know do car shows and festivals and things like that. So,
1: um, anyways, that's that's my story. Thanks wow. for having me on your podcast. I had a blast. No, it, it's a phenomenal story, and you've covered so many of the the questions that we had. I think some of the the people that. Uh, went to our high school would be interested to know the ballrooms that you played. Did you ever play like Ryan's Bass Lake ballroom or someplace else or what were any of the, the venues that you remember playing?
2: Oh gosh, we played Ryan's Bass Lake ballroom many times. Okay. Um, many times. So huge crowds. Uh, there were ballrooms all over the, the Midwest, um, Marigold ballroom, Mr. Lucky's, uh, um, Schlieff's Little City, uh, gosh, <laughs> sure. I can't even think of There are so many ballrooms around, especially in Minnesota and Wisconsin and Iowa. There were just ballrooms all over. And, you know, the Blazer in Nisswa, Minnesota was another big one. Uh, you know, people would, kids up there, they wait for their favorite local Twin City band to come and they would just flock there. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so you talked a little bit about this, but... What again? What was it like to hear your song on the radio for the first time? And I'm assuming, if it was uh, on the radio, you were listening to WDGY because of Bill Deal.
2: I was. Uh, the very first time I heard it, uh, I was actually, I was actually at the Sun Driving on Central Avenue Northeast. <laughs> oh wow! You
0: know, Fantastic. We'd go to eat there oftentimes after a gig. You know, I sure wish it was
2: still around there. Or- fantastic Sunburger and their strawberry malts and all that well you anybody that went to the sun and knows what i'm talking about but it was actually playing on my radio and other people's car radios at the sun Drive, and i'm hearing all these other car radios playing liar liar on wdgy and i'm just blown away i mean i don't even remember how i reacted i think i was just in another world to
1: tell you the truth sure uh-huh. and um you had mentioned that uh your song, Liar, Liar, has been in different movies, different the background in a lot of movies. How how does that come about?
2: Okay, after I left the band, you know, the royalties dried up. It, you know, you didn't hear much. Um, you know, I went to work for a corporation, and I started working for a booking agency and kept in the music business. and uh, 1987, the phone rings in my office, and it's a producer from Hollywood calling. I think, Oh, yeah. He <laughs> says, um, We want to license Liar Liar for a new movie. And I said, Really? What's it about? He said, Well, it's about Vietnam. And I said, Who's starring? Him? He said, Robin Williams. I said, Oh, yeah, I'm interested. So I got him in touch with the record company and the publishing company. By that time, they had moved to New York. So they licensed Liar Liar for Good Morning Vietnam. And it was in the soundtrack. This was unbelievable. I mean, the phone starts ringing. I'm doing interviews. I don't even remember how to do an interview. It's been (laughs) so long since anybody was interested. You know, so interest in the castaways and Liar Liar just exploded at that point. And so uh, that was cool. Um, I I didn't mention that it was originally uh, in It's a Bikini World. It was a movie that we filmed in 65 with a lot of other uh, groups like the Animals. And uh, so this was our second soundtrack. And after that, there were two more um, movies. And it just has been licensed for so many other things Uh, recently. uh, Playboy licensed the song for a perfume commercial, believe it or not, that was filmed in Germany. And that's broadcast all over the world. And they just renewed their license for another year, which kind of blew my mind. Who would have thought, you know, back in 65, 66, that, uh, (laughs) that the song would still be performed all over the world. But it is, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. It's, it,
1: it's, it's wow.
2: just unbelievable.
1: Phenomenal story. We we so appreciate you, you doing this uh, interview on our podcast. Um, tell everybody about the book now and where it can be purchased. The book is called Liar, Liar,
2: From Garage Band to Rock Stars, The Story of Minnesota's Castaways in the 1960s. It's a long, long title. But you can find it uh, at itascabooks.com, And it's also will be on Amazon in a few days. So itascabooks.com is the distributor. You can get it there. Or you can also get it later on amazon.com. So hope you'll buy the book, read it, tell your friends, spread the word. Because this is a story that I wanted to write for years, and I finally got around to it. It took me two years to write the story people told me you got to write this story you got to tell it you got to preserve the story because there are people that really want to hear it and so I'm just trying to preserve a story of a band that had some success
0: in Minnesota and those memories of the 60s are terrific we're, we're trying to bring that back too so people can see this and, and uh, just see what what stories like you have just wonderful things that, that you guys do well let's Celebration of a band it's a
2: celebration of a national hit record and it's, it's also a celebration of the 1960s it's a decade that you know we just loved and we missed and, and it, was, it was the golden age of rock and roll
1: James Donna formerly with the Castaways thank you so much still with the
2: Castaways still with the Castaways
1: yeah, yeah. and where are you guys going to be playing this summer oh check our website
2: we got all kinds of uh, uh, concerts the park events car shows and we're still rocking and rolling it's it's a, a summer and fall uh, season for us but you know you can just google the castaways and check out our website
0: will do will do well thank you so much james we we have had a blast just listening to this and uh we we really enjoy you we appreciate you thank you guys thank you very much